Good morning and welcome to our online worship. The service today is not a copy of that being provided in church, but the sermon is one recorded previously by Reverend Ray Gaston when he was minister in Clickmanon. The reading is the one associated with the talk and Sandra will conclude the service today with her prayer of intercession. Let us commence with a short prayer. Father, we come before you to give thanks for you have provided all you have provided in this past week. Knowing we don't always deserve your gifts and are not always appreciative of them either. But you are a good God and a great God and know all our thoughts and actions. Be with us during this service and open our ears to what is said. And now we say together the prayer your son taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. The reading is taken from Luke chapter 21 and from verse 5 to 19. Some of the disciples were talking about the temple, how beautiful it looked with its fine stones and the gifts offered to God. Jesus said, all this you see, the time will come when not a single stone here will be left in its place. Every one will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will this be and what will happen in order to show that the time has come for it to take place? Jesus said, be on guard, don't be deceived. Many men claiming to speak for me will come and say, I am he and the time has come. But don't follow them. Don't be afraid when you hear of wars and revolutions. Such things must happen first but they do not mean that the end is near. He went on to say, countries will fight each other, kingdoms will attack one another, there will be terrible earthquakes, famines and plagues everywhere. There will be strange and terrifying things coming from the sky. Before all these take place, however, you will be arrested and persecuted. You will be handed over to be tried in synagogues and put in prison. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my sake. This will be your chance to tell the good news. Make up your minds beforehand not to worry how you will defend yourselves, because I will give you such words and wisdom that none of your enemies will be able to refute or contradict what you say. You will be handed over by your parents, your brothers, your relatives and your friends. And some of you will be put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a single hair from your heads will be lost. Stand firm and you will save yourselves. Amen. It was a message of the New Testament. And Advent being a time of crisis. That was always a message of the New Testament. A time of crisis. When things were about to happen when decisive events were about to take place. 
And I know I've spoken before about gardeners in this congregation and in this parish, how we're all wonderful amateur weather forecasters. I'm sure we all look at the sky. I wonder who forecast the mist we got this morning. Didn't look like it last night, but it came. And the miracle was it came without a frost. We all know all the old adages. We've all got them stored up there in our memory bank in our minds. You know, red sky at night, shepherd's delight, red sky at morning, sailor's warning. And here's a lovely Calvinist for you. You know, the really pessimistic Scot. What was it? Sun before seven, rain by eleven. There's one really to upset all your calculations. And I'm sure you can ream off a good few more. Are we good at reading the signs of the times? That's a question that Advent puts. And really, in a sense, Advent tells us that we're always constantly in the Christian faith in a state of crisis. Crisis meanings big events around. Are we able to read the signs of the times as we come into the Advent season? Jesus once teased his followers along this very line, and that's the origin of the passage we read from Luke's Gospel. He said they were experts in telling the weather, but had very little idea how to read the signs of the times, to look at what was happening in the world round about them, and interpret them in terms of what God's purpose was for his world and for his people. And of course, no doubt he set quite a hair running, because from very earliest Christian times, there were those who thought they were the wonderful people and could always tell what was going to happen. And we've had them right down through the ages of the church, indeed right through modern sectarian groups, where they look at the, the Gospels and the Epistles and they pick out various chapters and various events and they tell you the world is going to come to an end on such and such a day. And so far, thankfully, they've all been proved wrong or we wouldn't be here to celebrate Advent this morning. You know, people really jiggle around with these things. And you get those who want to give you a hitchhiker's guide to the universe and to paradise and interpret verses from the Revelation and from, and from Daniel's prophecy. Now, from earliest times, the church failed to get it right because there was a time in one of his epistles when even Paul was tempted towards this view that the whole thing would come to an end within a lifetime. And of course, that didn't happen. You see, we always have to be aware that in the first century, they were always aware of another crisis that was there, constantly threatening them. And that was the opposition that their faith had stirred up. The threat it seemed to pose to those in authority, not just in the land of the Jews, but in the land of the Romans and their great empire. Who were these people who were putting forward another god other than Caesar? Who were these people who were worshipping one other than the emperor himself? Who were these people who were eating flesh and drinking blood, like cannibals, the Christians? And so they turned on them. So it's important, really, that in any age, at any time, we remind ourselves of this Advent message. We live in a time of crisis. How good are we at reading the signs of the times? We can be just as blind as the disciples were. Good weather forecasters, but poor prophets and very slow to react when the signs would say we should be taking action. Today we're told of the crisis in the church. We're constantly being reminded of it. We almost dread the next presbytery meeting to see what's going to be happening or being put forward. A decline in membership, that's been going on ever since the post-war years. What's worrying is even more now is the decline in the ministry. And I don't just mean anno domini decline, but decline in numbers. And we're now grouping our congregations together in areas. 
we belong here in Clackman and to the Aloha area. And we're obviously going to have to get together as congregations and share ministers, because ministers are in short supply. Is this our swan song, or just another challenge along the way for us to face? What is God saying to us? What would he have us do? We live as Christians in a time of crisis, an internal crisis for this church that we love so much. But it's also a time of opportunity, a time of challenge, a time of choice, a time of decision. I wonder if the end is so near, do we, like the Thessalonians, give up struggling and reckon our shared resources will take us through as long as we need it and then the next generation can look after itself? But that's no Christian view. That's certainly far from the spirit of the gospel and of our master. We need to face our challenges fairly and squarely. But this isn't the first time the church has faced a crisis. Faced a crisis. If you look down through the history of the church, that came time after time after time. And thank God at each time there were the prophetic voices. There were those who were able to look at the situation and see that God had opportunity in it that our extremity was his advantage to come forward through his chosen people. And time after time, the church has been able to renew itself. It's not without a mischief or really mischoice that the Church of Scotland chose for its emblem the burning bush, the bush that's always consumed but is never burnt up, that keeps renewing itself, giving out its light and its heat and its fire to each successive generation. And so like those early Christians, we live in a time of crisis. We remind ourselves of that in this Advent season. We remind ourselves that although it was celebrated a hundred years since the end of the war that was to end all wars, it didn't end all wars. We've just had successive wars ever since. And things become even more difficult. We no longer face global wars with armies. We face very different kinds of wars. We no longer have wars that can be settled with armies in the field, one beating the other, one nation submitting to the other. We deal with wars that are hidden wars, unseen wars. We're in the age of the militant religious forces, insidiously permeating situations, communities, and individuals' lives and hearts, and turning them to violence. We live in the age of fake news, sowing confusion in situations, in societies. We live in the age of cyber attacks when there are elections on and mischievous powers seek to interfere to their own benefit and the discomfort of those they see as standing against them. We see people disrupting voting processes. We see them threatening essential public services. We live in a very different world today, a very difficult situation. And the church for so long, the bastion of permanent values and a symbol of the nation's Christian ethos looks more like an anachronism set aside by most of the people and sadly set aside by a large proportion of its own members who have forsaken its ranks. Are we reading the signs of the times? Are we prepared to take on board the indications that they give? Or is it easier, more comfortable, just reach forward and switch off the switch that's putting across this disturbing message. A time of crisis and confusion, a time of opportunity, a time of challenge. So what must we do? 
I've said this before, I say it again. If ever there was a time where we need to look at ourselves and examine the basis of our faith, that is now. If we are Christians, what does it mean to be a Christian in today's world? I'm a Glaswegian. I belong to Glasgow. That's what the IEN at the end stands for. If we're Christian, we belong to Christ. What does that mean in terms of what we believe, in terms of the lives we live, in terms of the daily actions that we carry through, in terms of our vision of things around us and our reading of the times? Lives lacking in faith, lacking quality. By whatever name we might call any faith they might have, sadly, the opulent one just knows materialism. Interiorism, negativism, skepticism, doubt, you name it. They're all negative values and they inhibit lives, lives of people around us. Our society is riddled with negativism. Witness the debate, I'm not even going to mention his name, but it's all our newscasts today and all our broadcasts. We look forward with trepidation to any solution brought forward. Somehow we can't see any good in it, whether it's for the plus, the plus or the minus. I remember the sandwich board man going through the Saturday shopping crowds in Glasgow in a busy Christmas season. His sandwich board's read on the front, is there life beyond death? As he passed by, you saw the sandwich board in his back and, his, and that sandwich board read, said, read, you call this life? You call this life? A very valid question. One we need to face as Christians. You call this Christian faith? You call this life after death? You call this life for now in the Christian ethos, in the Christian message? And how we need a reformation of the church. Yes, with a massive one in the 16th century, based on the message of Paul in his epistle to the Romans. We need another reformation today. We're already seeing it in physical terms, in churches, congregations, having to draw together. But we need to see it looking out from the church. How we need a reformation in the whole world of our mission to and our understanding of young people, of youth today. The clubs, the pubs of the Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights, crowded to the doors with young people seeking what? Seeking fellowship, because they can't find it here, because they don't have it at home. A fellowship that's based on drinking as much as you can, as quickly as you can, get absolutely stupefied. Is that fellowship? Is that belonging? Is that life? Young people seeking to be loved because they're not loved at home, not cared for at home. Indeed, homes where other interests take over, either the television or the gizmos, or the lack of fellowship and love within a family, desperate to be loved, to be appreciated for themselves, to be given a sense of value, a sense of self-respect, wanting meaning in their life, wanting direction, because there's no one there to direct them and to point them in the correct area. Our young folk, sadly, I think, are able to blame us. Somehow we seem to have succeeded admirably in failing to pass on to them the faith that we ourselves have professed for a lifetime. Yes, we need a reform in the church. We need a reform also in how we in the church view young people and what we feel is our mission towards them. 
Deliberately, we need to go back and seek to win, not just young people, but young families. We've lost so many of them as well. They're no longer with us. We require all age worship as a standard form of our worship. We have them occasionally here in the seasons and from time to time and have the children all with us. How about being a family learning together the basis of the faith and of Christian practice and Christian belief? Maybe we should be setting apart a Kirk session, a whole Sunday, to look at the whole question of how these things challenge us and what we should be doing about them. And indeed, drawing up a policy for the church, an actual policy. We tend to be reactive instead of proactive. We tend to have our meetings to deal with crises that we've got in hand instead of looking at the situation that we should be facing and tackling. I don't want to be all negative on this Advent Sunday, but I feel the challenge is there and has to be presented. Thank God we have here, yes, a core congregation with a spirit of joy and welcome at its heart. This is a happy congregation. It's attracted to visitors and strangers alike. But we need also to be a growing congregation, one that's getting bigger and bigger, a new beginning and a new year looming with no lack of challenge and opportunity to stimulate us in this time of crisis of Advent. Our level of lay commitment and involvement is encouraging in this congregation and growing. And the new year will bring us new avenues of fellowship and cooperation as we're drawn more and more into sharing resources with our fellow congregations in this particular area of the presbytery. We know and we're aware that our concept of ministry has to change and adapt to a situation which we're there. It'll require fewer ministers and ministers with a whole new set of skills. There'll be little place for lone wolf churches or one-person ministries in the church that's presently emerging. And with this in mind, we initiate our search for a new leader. A pastor and teacher, yes, that's always been a key function of the ministry. But we look now for a recruiter, a talent spotter, a trainer, an enabler, who can look out from the congregation, those with the skills, and bring them forward into the life and the work of the whole body of Christ as we move forward as one. Jesus stressed the need for his followers to read the signs of the times and be prepared for new challenges. That's the Advent message. Their challenge has become our challenge to build a church for future generations, a living growing, caring body, ready to answer the call of the Master. Let our prayer be at the table today that we are deemed worthy and that God will enable us and equip us to be fit for the task that's set before us. Amen. May God bless to us this preaching of his word and to his name be the glory and the praise. Let us pray. O Lord, may we lift our hearts in intercession as we contemplate the aftermath of this week's COP26 world gathering. Creator God, who place this planet and all its bountiful resources in our care, encourage those who have pledged to take on responsibilities 
to do so wisely and with honest guidance wherever it is necessary and whatever the cost to manage these crisis areas around the world we call our home so our children and their offsprings might not look back in shame and anger at what we in denial have failed to do. Creator God, only you see the big picture. This earth spinning through space with cyclic changes can sustain the life we see and hear. Warmed by the sun, refreshed by the rain, fed by seeds sown and harvested, if only we play our part. Forgive our complacency, our arrogance and greed, and enlighten our leaders to seek true scientific wisdom. And we pray that the knowledge gained through research and technology might not be profit-driven, but kindle a growing desire for the common good of all, that rich and poor alike might see the benefit rather than be ill-advised or misled. The book of Genesis, chapter 8, verse 22, reminds us, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, shall not cease. The word remaineth within that verse is something we need to reflect upon. And God, creator of this wonderful earth, forgive us if we think the world is simply to be exploited. Open our eyes to see the damage that we do. Open our ears to hear and not ignore the signs. Open our hearts to acknowledge the ways we can become stewards of this fragile earth and instill within us a desire not only to care for it but to preserve the sheer beauty and all its treasures throughout the diverse regions of this wonderful world which you, Lord, created for mankind. O God, our leader, and our master, and our friend, forgive our imperfections and our little motives. Take us and make us one with thy great purpose. Use us and do not reject us. Make us all here servants of thy kingdom. Weave our lives into thy struggle to conquer and to bring peace and union to the world. We are small and feeble creatures. We are feeble in speech, feebler still in action. Nevertheless, let but thy light shine upon us and there is not one of us who cannot be lit by thy fire and who cannot lose purpose himself in salvation. Take us into thy purposes. O God, let thy kingdom come into our hearts and into this world. Amen. <laughs>